picking this up mid-conversation. <laughs> we'll throw an intro on later. Uh, Jeff, okay. Jeff and I have been talking for like half an hour waiting for Sean. Uh, we're talking about directors we love and hate. <clears throat> Where did you want to start, Jeff? <laughs> um, I'll talk about Rob Zombie. Because I have never, ever liked anything he's really done except for his original Halloween. Um, and that's because I, I thought the idea of a young kid growing into Michael Myers was an interesting. And I thought I liked that until he got to the part where it was the remake part, which in fairness is where he wanted to end it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You know, like having to tack that on, it felt, I really thought watching Danielle Harris scream and scream and scream and scream. I really was like, Oh, he really just does not like other women besides his wife. Well, and I read an interview with him where he said, he goes, look, teenagers are annoying. So I wanted to make them annoying. Yeah. (laughs) And he did. Uh, But (laughs) therefore Laurie Strode's no longer this character you like, like what you did with Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, I've never like house of a thousand corpses came out and I went and saw it. I was kind of like, I guess it just looks like a Rob Zombie music video. Yeah. And then I never really thought anything of it. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I just kind of like, this is just an homage to every 70s horror movie with his little music video style. But for whatever reason, Devil's Rejects, I don't know. I just, I fell in love with it. I think it was more the soundtrack than anything. I think the way he worked in those popular songs into the the movie, I just, I don't know. I loved it. I the problem is really nothing else has been that good since uh, movies like 31 and even the second half of Halloween and the original studio release of Halloween two just kind of keep going back to the hillbilly killer thing, which kills my argument. You know, it hurts. It makes those rejects worse, you know, Uh, but I don't know. I love the Halloween two director's cut. I think. Yeah. Really, really cool. I I tried to watch House of a Thousand Corpses. I think I got about three quarters of the way in before I'm like, this is just not my aesthetic. It's not my thing. Um, it, uh, just the 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 way he tells his his stories with the gritty, you know, like I I love the people that are in his movies except for his wife. Right. Um, I mean, I I'm sure she's a very lovely person. Let me just put it that way she couldn't act her way out of a wet paper bag right. in anything I've ever seen her in. So I've just like stop subjecting us to this. Right. Um, yeah. you know, and, and I, I think that having not been able to get through that watching Halloween and then, you know, by the end of it, I just was like, eh, I wish it had stopped right. when you met Lori, you know? Um, and, and then not, not seeing the director's cut of Halloween two until much, much later. I think when I bought the box set from shot factory, yeah, I think I watched it and I was like, Oh, okay. This, I, this, I can get into. And again, it's more the idea than the execution. The, yeah. Was, yeah. But still it was a pretty cool idea with Laurie Strode kind of going crazy. At the yeah. End. I, I, that's kind of the way it is with Eli Roth. He's yep. a good idea person, 
but the execution is usually kind of poor. And I'm very, like, one of the things I like to do is, like, Cabin Fever was a really low budget. He was a nobody. I know David Lynch was kind of helping him finance it, but it was still a no-budget, nothing movie. So I the bad acting and some of the things in it, I can live with cause, because of the low budget. Uh, and I, I thought that was effective, so I got really excited about Hostel when it came out. And yeah. part of me likes it. Uh, there's cool things in it. It just, I would have rather he really fucked with the audience. And because his idea was what Porky's and then turns into some horror mm-hmm. movie, and I, which I think is hilarious. But don't tell us it's a horror movie and just fuck with the audience. Right. A bunch of com- people going there to see a comedy and then are horrified. That would have been great. But instead, yeah. he let us all know it was a horror movie. And then we're sitting through a half an hour or half a movie of a comedy. And. I don't know. Market it as a comedy. Market it as Porky's, you know? Eli Roth brings you his, you know, like, Porky's. Right. They're all, let's go to Eastern European, or Eastern Europe, and we're going to get all these girls and whatever, and then, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) you need all these girls. Yeah. Yeah. I Again, I love the execution. I I don't love the execution, but I love the idea of Hostel. Um, And Hostel, too, too. I mean, I mean, it's like, what are you going to, how are you going to surprise the audience? Right. You can't really after, you know, after hostile, which everybody was like, Oh oh shit. You know, that's not something I've seen before necessarily. Um, and then that green Inferno movie again, I love the idea of, especially coming from more of a liberal mind like him and going after the people that pretend to be activists, but then the movie is just terrible. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. It's so bad, but I I think it's an idea. Like, I mean, there's a whole scene about farting or pooping or something like that that just takes you out of the horror. I mean, that could have been an intense scene because that would be something embarrassing or hard to go through while you're in that, but he's trying to go for laughs in this, I don't know, what should yeah. be a dark cannibal holocaust-like movie, and it's just, I don't know. Yeah, his tone is all over the place. Within, even within just like scenes sometimes. And that's what, that that's what bugs me about his stuff is like, I don't know quite how I'm supposed to feel. And I want to be, I want to, I want to feel something, but I, I want to be led to that feeling by the filmmaker. Right. Not. Okay. Well, this is a situation you can feel about however you want. I'm going to let it go. Right. So I do love him on, in, in, and podcasts and interviews because he's he's oh. fun to listen to. Uh, he loves horror movies, right? He and just, I mean, he loves them. Yeah, yeah. He's like he's like a better looking Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, you know, I his uh, history of horror podcast that was it. great. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Um, I you know I kind of. I sometimes will pick an episode from the past to listen to when I don't have anything like up. Right. So yeah, he's, he, he's an interesting guy. His, his ideas are very interesting and good. He just doesn't follow through as well. Yeah. I think the best movie he's done is one that he didn't even write. 
Is it like the clock movie or house with clocks in the walls or something? The house with the clock in its walls, yeah. Yeah. That was the most effective, well-made movie he's ever made, I think. (laughs) Uh, And he really had nothing to do with the storytelling. He was just executing the... Yeah. Well, he wanted... What I heard from that was that he wanted to make a movie that was like an entry point movie for kids for horror. Yeah. Because it was spooky, you know, and had that kind of, yeah. So I thought from what I understood, that was pretty successful in that. Yeah. I think so too. Who else do you want to talk about? Well, I feel like we talked about, um, uh, William Friedkin last time. Yeah. Um, what are what do you think about um, uh, Quentin Tarantino as a director, like having seen everything he's done so far? I mean, what are what do you think his strengths are? I, versus, I think his biggest strength is separating himself from everybody else. So you you can't really rank him against your standard guys. You know, he just, he stands out there on his own. He's like a, I like to always refer to things like with music. It's like a guitar player that just has such an original style that you just know it's that guy all the time. And like, I mean, his movies, they never win anything. <laughs> they, they're yeah. just always uniquely their own thing. And they're always uniquely Quentin Tarantino. And I, I think that's his biggest strength is that he has complete control over what he's doing. And he, he, he just understand almost like savant, like understands what needs to be done, how to get there and how to do it in the right budget and make it look like its own thing. And it just kind of stands off to the side. It's never, it, you just, it's hard to rank with other movies because they're just his. You know, it's like here's Tarantino's ten movies over here. I don't know. That's kind of how I look at them. What are your thoughts on Tarantino? I one of my, to me, one of his biggest strengths is the knowledge that he brings to like film just in general. He knows everything about you know like like. He makes Eli Roth look like somebody who just saw like coffee once and decided, Oh, I know everything about seventies movies. Yep. You know, he just, he brings that to it. And I, I appreciate that more than I appreciate some of his movies sometimes, you know, like I, I loved reservoir dogs. I love Pulp Fiction. Um, and glorious bastards I thought was great. You know, I loved the revisionist history in it, but then his next movie does the same thing. And I'm like, Oh, I don't want, I don't want that. I want, you know, I don't want him to every time he ends a movie that has like some historical basis or takes place in a certain time period. I don't need him to revise the end of the story. I get that. You're talking about once upon a time in Hollywood. And yeah. I guess I was, I was in a weird mindset because of midsummer so i was hating everything that came out up until that movie and quite frankly i was i had bought into some of the like sharon tate's family was kind of upset that he made the movie and i was kind of buying into that like 
is this really in good taste that he's going to show all this and on the big, you know, in the not just in some TV movie or something on like on the side, but in a big Hollywood movie. And so I was, for whatever reason, that was my headspace. So when it when he did go revisionist history, it was a relief to me. But okay. what you're saying makes complete sense because it's like, oh, he did this again. And for some reason, I just was in a weird headspace, and it worked. Plus, I thought the way he did it was cool, and I just loved the characters throughout. Uh, I loved how, you know, Margot Robbie hardly being used was still such an important character in that movie. Uh, I, I don't know. I just think it's, I just think he's neat <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> That's valid. And That's good. There's not a lot of people at his level or anybody's level that is just aware of who they are and how aware of their popularity aware of whatever move they make is going to do this to their career. And mm-hmm. in some ways I don't like that about him, but in other ways I think that's why he's as successful as he is. Uh, most people just don't, it's hard to grasp fame and that notoriety. Yeah. He not only has embraced it, but uh, and it kind of probably makes him a tool bag in real life. I'm assuming, but uh I don't know. It, because he has it, though, I, I think it it leads to his success a little better than others. I think for a while I was like, oh, when he said, I'm, go- I'm only ever going to make 10 movies, I was like, oh, he's buying into his own hype. And that kind of, I was like, okay, whatever, dude. Right. Um, but every time he says something like that, he backs it up with, you know, Right. Inglorious Bastards or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, it's like, okay, it's, you know, everybody knows that guy who just, he brags about shit that he doesn't, you know, he has no right bragging about. He talks a lot of shit and whatever, but he, <laughs> he talks a lot of shit, but he can back it up with his talent. Well, and there's so, not a lot of guy. I mean, Ari Aster is still very young <laughs> or very new and uh, yeah. he's only got three real features, but there's not a lot of guys that I mean Scorsese's missed, De Palma's missed, Coppola's missed a ton. Uh, all these great directors, none of them are batting a thousand, but Tarantino kind of is, or at least yeah. you know, even like some of his weaker ones, like Jackie Brown or whatever, are still pretty good. Uh, everybody else is. There's very few people who've hit. I like Fincher's one of my favorite, and he's missed a lot. Uh, I don't know. I just. I guess Denis Villeneuve hasn't really missed yet, but he's made some weird decisions. Uh, yeah. But it is to be at that level and to have not really, f- I guess you could say death proof was a failure, but I thought that was great. <laughs> Did you like, Oh that? no, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think that's a failure at all. I think that's one of his better films. Absolutely. I think I, I love that idea. Releasing it on good Friday was pretty stupid. Uh, yeah. Or Easter weekend. And then really, uh, they overestimated that audience uh, that was going to come out. Yeah. But, you know, had Fathom Events existed, that would have been the perfect thing to do. Uh, I agree. Movie. And if they had, it would have been huge. You know, speaking of Fathom Events, uh, this coming week we're getting They Live back in theaters. Um, should we talk about John Carpenter? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is so interesting because he doesn't give a fuck. 
Yeah, he really doesn't. And I love that about him in a way. I, this, it bums me out too because some of his movies don't aren't good anymore. But he's not afraid to say, "I don't care what you do, pay me." <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, he. You look at Halloween, which I've kind of you know like I know Sean hates that movie now because he's you know it's so overhyped and um I. I still love it and I'll still watch it every Halloween, but there come, there does come a time when you're like, Oh, okay. I've seen, you know, get it. Uh, I'm going to say that Halloween ends kind of have soured me on the Halloween movies for a while. Right. Um, I don't know how I feel in October, you know, I'm sure I'll watch at least Halloween, but the fact that, that was such a miss for me. That whole trilogy was such a miss. It was that, to be so good. Everybody was, I was so excited. I, I thought they were going to do a good job. And then it just, I wanted those guys to be successful so bad. And I guess they were financially, but God, they were bad. Uh, yeah. I, just the fact that <laughs> they had Jamie Lee Curtis in their movie. So they had somebody who was going to, hype that movie get everybody excited for it she was going to go out and do her goddamn job and she did when it came to her part in it she she acted what she was given and she went out there and was a cheerleader for it like she always is but i'll tell you what i want to look at her and be like really right really i mean i like in my head i fixed that movie you know, I fixed how it should be, and well, um, make up your mind. Is he? I mean, obviously he's supernatural by the end, but they play with that the whole time, and not in a fun way. You know, if yeah. if he's a man, he's a man. If he's a monster, he's a monster. But let's establish that from the get go. Like Terrifier yeah. did. Terrifier did a great job of that. And which you know, I finally watched Terrifier too. Yeah, enjoy it. Um, long. yeah, that was, that, I was like, it could have quite honestly been an hour and a half and I would have really enjoyed it. And I don't know if like, if one of the reasons that it was so long was to, you know, get the character, you get to know the main character and I, he's really good at that. He's really good at getting you to know and like the main cast. I really like that. Um, it did get a little confusing though after a while because it, they don't. I guess after seeing the first one, where you don't necessarily get that he's a supernatural being, right. you think he's just a guy who's crazy. Yeah. And I don't think that they really. I think they should have established that in the first one because in the second one, I was like, "What's going on?" Well, they, I, you know, right. I mean, he blows his head off the end of the first one and comes back in the second. Yeah, one. that's how they, I guess, how they establish it right away in the second one. But yeah, but, you're right. But the fact that, like, Art the Clown as a character has been in so many different movies, right? You know, all Hallows Eve, and you know, all all these shorts and things like that. That th- does this one take? You know, this could have taken place before Terrifier one, but you know, very clearly at the beginning, you know, once they established the, Oh, he's not, this is, this is actually, 
this takes place in 2018 or whatever. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> well. Well, and I don't know if uh, you've I, heard that the way they originally ended it was almost identical to the way X ended. And X came out first, and someone says, hey, by the way, your movie ends the same way this does. you got to change your ending. So oh. I think that's part of why they got added on to at the very end, because they had to reshoot a bunch of stuff to change the ending. I think. I know gotcha. they, I know. at least they had to re-edit it. Uh, but, yeah. But anyway, John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, John Carpenter... As a mercenary, I as a director, there are some perfect things that he has put out. And I'm by perfect, I don't necessarily mean entire movies, but I think Halloween, even though you know, like some of the luster is gone after seeing it so many times over so many years, and you know, the whole timeline is so fucked up. I think that it's a perfect movie in that you care about the characters. You wonder what's going on. It's believable and it's small, right? It's compact. Um, There's no fat on it. There doesn't need to be. I think if there was, you get Rob Zombie's Halloween, right? And I think that even though he didn't direct it, but he wrote it and produced it, Halloween 2 is, it's a good continuation. Um, You know, I like the way that they explain why is Michael, Michael, why is he going after Lori and why does he keep going after her? Because it doesn't make any sense that he would go back, you know, he would just terrorize that new group because she's in the hospital. Well, yeah, they're the brother and sister. And I wish they'd kept that for the sequels because, you know, the new, the new trilogy. Right. Um, because it, it kind of only makes sense that way. You know, they really had to shoehorn him in to, to like fight her. Right. In the new trilogy. Whereas in the old, you know, duology, it made sense. Oh, he's following her cause it's his sister. Right. Um, and I don't think I don't think that he cared all that much by the end of two. Right. Which is why they switched it up for Halloween three, which is <laughs> I love that movie so much. It's just so bonkers and crazy and I wish I wish people had been on board forty years ago so that he and Deborah Hill could have gone on and made a different, you know, that a different Halloween better. story. I yeah. agree. That, and, but I mean, commerce takes over and it would have been hard to oh, yeah. keep everybody. I, I get the one thing that I guess the thing that sours me on the first one, the most, just the whole black Christmas thing. And I like to believe that, you know, Carpenter just kind of, you know, uh, what's his name? Bob Bob Clark. Uh, Bob Clark didn't want to do a sequel and was just like, yeah, do whatever you want or be inspired by it. I know it's not an official sequel, but it's clearly inspired by Black Christmas. Yeah. And, uh, between you and I think hearing Eli Roth on podcast talk about it, that's the only thing that even slightly sours me on it, but I still like to believe that, 
you know, he kind of had Bob Clark's blessing. I don't know if that's true or not, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's that, that for me with Bob Clark, it's that if, if I was going to do a sequel, I would set it the next year and it would be called Halloween. You know, he, the killer would come back and it would be called Halloween. And if that's true, it's that if where John Carpenter kind of has the blessing to, well, he's, he said, if, if he's not going to do it, then I might as well. Yeah. I just, I'd like to believe that they had an agreement or they worked it out together. or I don't know, but I wasn't there. I don't know. So I, and I don't want to know otherwise. Uh, Well, Bob Clark always, he, well, he said in interviews, he's like, he goes, you know, people ask him about it. He's just like, he goes, Halloween is a great film and I'm glad he did what he did with it. He never, conf- like, he never, he said, he told, he's the one who told that story a couple times, but he never said, you know, oh, I wish I'd done it instead. He was always very complimentary to Carpenter. That's good. So I like to think that he had his blessing. Yeah. And so. it, I, some of his movies, Carpenter's, it took me multiple viewings, like really I've hated Big Trouble in Little China forever up until recently. Uh, Escape from LA or New York, first time through, didn't like it. And then we watched it for the podcast. I was like, this is amazing. Even They Live, I didn't like They Live initially. I was a lot younger Mm -hmm. then, but all of a sudden you watch it and it's just like, oh my God, this is so smart. And it's just goofy enough to to work. And now it's even, I don't know, that movie just seems to keep getting better with age. Even the thing, I had a hard time. I was kind of bored as a kid watching it, but now yeah. that you get older, it's just like way smarter than that. Uh, now you know what, and that's why I think maybe he doesn't. He makes movies for adults, right? He doesn't make adult movies. He makes movies for adults. Although I would probably love to see one of his adult movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but he does movies for adults with adult themes. And I think Halloween was probably Halloween and Halloween, the Halloween trilogy, the first, the first three, those were probably the ones that are most geared towards kind of a a wider audience. Right. Because they're simple and, you know, they're scary movies that don't, you don't have to think too hard about. There's just the shape coming after everybody or there's this evil Irishman, you know, making masks to kill (laughs) kids, which I mean, you couldn't even make that movie today. Right. Um, I, I, I think that like themes from, you know, the, the isolation of the thing and not trusting anybody because you just, because you can't, you don't know, you can't know if they're there to hurt you is the same theme as they live. Absolutely. You know, you can only you only know if they're there to hurt you if they've got special glasses on. Right. You know, and that and that opens up your mind. And um, (laughs) I've heard uh, a few right wingers say that, oh, it's like getting red pilled. And I'm like, (laughs) is it kind of is it though? It's the opposite. They also think that red pilled means you're going to be, you know, conservative, even though it's a trans allegory. But right. What do I know? Um, you know, it's, it's like that whole, that, that sense of there's nowhere to go. 
There's nowhere to run because they're everywhere. Right. The thing is everywhere. You know, it's, it's that paranoid, but for good reason. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, the, they lives kind of, especially during like the 2016 election, I think got started to get misunderstood where, well, they're all bad. And in, in a way there's elements of truth to that, but there's one side's but worse than the other. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they use, uh, there's a lot of they live imagery to kind of like fuck them both, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, yeah. That I'm ultimately like, led to Trump being successful. Uh, yeah, I I feel like when I watched They Live during the pandemic, mm-hmm. because I lived in LA for the year of most of 2020 and part of 2021. And my best friend and I would go to movie locations. We'd drive around LA and like surrounding areas. We, you know, we, we went to the, the studio where they filmed the office <laughs> and I mean, just, you know, and it looks exactly like it did, except there was a big broken down RV out front of it, <laughs> which in my head, I just said, Oh, well, that's Meredith from the office. <laughs> she bought an RV and it broke down in front of the office. So she just lives there now. That's funny. Um, but we, you know, I took I took him to South Pasadena to see the locations for Halloween. Um, uh, fun fact: the house that uh, Linda from Halloween lives in is the same house from Mama's Family with Vicki Lawrence and Carol Burnett. Wow! And if you're looking at that house, if you're looking at Mama's Family's house, and you turn to the right, there's the hedge that Michael Myers is behind. That's funny. Uh, but we went downtown LA, and we were trying to find the alley where they have the epic fist fight. And we found that, and then I have a picture of it on my Facebook that the 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 wall where there was the sign that said "Obey." Yeah, I I found that wall, and I looked up, and I was like, oh, "That's it! It's just missing the the billboard, but that's the same wall." Oh wow! And it was it was one of those things where what we're seeing it, and especially during 2020 when the world was shit and right. everything was shit it's like wow that movie was so prescient that you just can't even deal with it i would like to think the alley where they fought is like the rocky steps where you can't go there without people (laughs) running up and down and jumping up and down (laughs) there's just always people fake fighting in the i know it's during covid they're all in especially in california they're all inside (laughs) but uh i'd still like to think that there's constantly somebody fake fighting in that alley every day (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it I thought about like getting a picture with my Dukes up or something, but I just never did. It's what's funny is it's right around the corner from the hotel from uh, American horror story hotel. Um, you know, and on the way back to my place, we stopped at the house from the people under the stairs, the Wes Craven movie. Oh, wow. uh, That's another person we should talk about. Yeah. Before we do that, I just have one question. American horror story. Are you a fan or no? Um, I'm a piecemeal fan. Okay. That's how I am. Like too. I, yeah. But I like the first mm-hmm. season. I like the second season a lot. Uh, Asylum. Right. Um, Pepper is one of my favorite characters just because she's just, you know, plus I, 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 I like Naomi Grossman. We've hung out a couple times and she's just, she's so effusive. I guess it makes me like it a little more. Um, Coven was good. 
I just I, think I the further like, they got along in it, they're more and more fat that was on every season. Oh, yeah. And there yeah. has to be because it's TV, but it just was hard for me to stay up with it. I I liked elements of Freak Show. Mm-hmm. Like that Pepper episode was great. Twisty the Clown is just great terrifying. Yeah. Uh, you know, in his story. I like how the Freaks... When, when you say freak show in American Horror Story, the freaks are the normal people. Yep. You know, all the people that are outside are the real freaks. Right. And that's what I took from it. But as you go on, I mean, there's great performances in a lot of them, but they just don't, you know, they don't really hold up. I liked New York the last season um, because it was like the very first scene is straight out of cruising. Oh, really? Which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, there's a they're they're even playing the, the one of the music pieces that was playing in the club in oh, cruising. Wow. Uh, you know, there's a there's a guy with a hood over his head, you know, and a, a harness, and it's like a, a lot of blue color correction in it, uh, and it has some of the best imagery uh, that I like. There's there's a there, it gets into the AIDS crisis. And there's, I, I want you to watch it because it was really, really good. But there's this one scene in the last episode that is kind of, it's just a, it's a metaphor for how many people died of AIDS and, you know, in the late eighties and early nineties. And it's just, it's, it like sticks with me still as one of the most powerful things I've ever seen I'll have to in regards to it. And take watch Cause I, I kind of stopped halfway through Freak Show and never went back. Not for any re- reason other than just it's effort to keep up with TV shows. <laughs> and oh yeah, I, I that's I'm just I've kind of been like you know what I like movies better. They're tighter for the most part. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, but I'll have to go back and check that. And that sounds that sounds really good. All right, Wes Craven, yeah, you, or go ahead. I was gonna say you don't you can you can watch any season. Yeah, they're all out of order. Right. Um, Although there is an, I don't know if you got to that episode of freak show with pepper that, that talks just about pepper, but I think I did. I only, I want to say I got three episodes in. Yeah. That's worth it. Uh, I still don't think Ryan Murphy knows how to end a, a season or a series because he just has to kill everybody. Right. You know, that's how it was in murder house. And then that's how it was in asylum. And that's how it was in coven. And I'm like, dude, Give somebody a happy ending. Um, but yeah, Wes Craven. Um, he's one of the most hit or miss directors. <laughs> so smart. He's when he's good, he's great. When he's bad, he's really, really bad. Yeah. Um, again, he has some great ideas like last house on the left. Have you ever seen the movie, the Virgin spring? Yes. That's yeah. what, Last House on the Left is based on that movie. Right. And a great idea. It it stretches credulity at towards the end, you know, when they're when they're fighting back. Right. Um Well, yeah, I, I remember loving it originally because it was so shocking as a kid because everything I I'd watched, I'm from that scream generation, so everything was slick. Uh, and then, you know, the 80s stuff was kind of campy and fun, well, the, especially and all I saw was like the really popular 80s stuff at that point. 
So then wanting to go back to watch the raw and gritty movies, it was just like, holy shit, this, this looks like they really killed each other and did all this stuff. Uh, yeah. But the comedy in it just is like, why do you have these cop, goofy cops with little, you know, just cut all that out and just make it dark and, yeah. uh, I, and then when we watched the version of spring, that was, uh, we, we did that for the podcast. We did both of the movies as a classics and that was really good. I was kind of shocked at how much I liked that. I wasn't expecting to, and it, kind of made me dislike last house on the left even more and like i i've heard west craven talk because he's very smart like you said he knows you know what he's doing he's trying to tell the movie about the death of the hippie dream or whatever but toby mm-hmm. hooper went and did it on accident with texas chancellor massacre yeah. and because he did it on accident it's so much more genuine and i don't know and and then also having that experience with sean where he didn't really care for the movie until he and I watched it together. And it was just like, now it's one of his top five movies of all time was Virgin spring or no, Texas Chancel massacre. Oh, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. So it was, I don't know, just those I've always kind of linked Texas Chancel massacre and last house on the left together. Uh, but with Texas being way more superior and I, I want to like last house on the left. Like, cause and I love the marketing of it. You know, this is just a movie. This is just a movie. Obviously, yeah. I wasn't there for that, but I think it's hilarious, you know, how they did that back then. But, yeah, it's really not as good as the idea. <laughs> That's true. That's, yeah, I, I, I mean, the scenes in it that are brutal are brutal. Yes. And I don't know if, if that's the reason he put in the comedy to kind of take the edge off of that a little bit, or if it was to fill a runtime, because it's a very short movie. Right. Um, But I do love the fact that he completely just cribbed shot for shot. Some of the last, when she's building um, the booby traps in a nightmare on Elm street. Right. I mean, it's literally their shot for shot remake of the parents doing the same thing in some cases. Oh, wow. I never even thought of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the part where, like, Nightmare gets a little silly. But I think you're also thinking of the sequels when you think of it. Yep. Because that for, the first movie is really it's not there's it's not funny. Right. There's no you know the one liners aren't really there. Um, you know, even two is not. It's not, Freddie's not really quipping. He makes that one, you know, daddy can't help you now and you've got the body and I've got the brains and he, but he rips his head off and shows his brain. Right. That's not, you know, three is where it really started to get into the, you know, welcome to prime time, bitch. And, yep. um, so I feel like watching nightmare and I watched nightmare on Elm street in the theater last fall and, it's it just struck me how much darker in tone it is than anything after two. And I think he's really good at that. You know, even when you get into scream where it's, it's polished and it's, you know, everything's hip. He didn't write it. That's one of the reasons that it's a little different, but he doesn't, 
while while there's meta stuff in it, it's not he's not doing it as a parody or anything like that. Right. Yeah, you know, he's talking about teenagers killing their friends and he's really ratcheting up the tension that I don't think necessarily was in the script. Right. And that's what he's really good at. I thought new nightmare was fantastic. Uh, oh yeah. I, like the way he reinvented Freddie in that movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I was very bummed by, cause I'd always heard the voodoo movie he did. I can't think of the name of it. Uh, Serpent of the Rainbow. Yeah, like I've heard a lot of people talk about how great that was, and then we watched that as a classic, and I couldn't get into it. I don't know if that was just my mindset at the time, it, but Josh and Sean didn't like it either. So sometimes when the three of us disagree together, uh, or we don't like something together, you, you know, your opinion spirals with it. Uh, what is your thought on that one? I watched it in the '80s when it came out on video cassette. I didn't go see it in the theater or anything. It was just on the cusp of me going to the movies a lot mm-hmm. by myself. Um, I didn't, I don't, I, it, I think it was a little too cerebral for its own good. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think I wanted it to be like angel heart or something like that. A little more, you know, a little more evil where it wasn't. Right. Uh, I, I I guess I would have to see it again. I mean, it's been 30 years since I've seen it. Gotcha. So I don't know how it would hold up for me. But I just, I remember not really getting it as a teenager. Yeah. You know, like, oh, okay. No, where's Freddy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you see the people under the stairs? Yeah, we watched that fairly recently. Uh, and again, it was one of those where that was, is that a made for TV movie or am I thinking of a different one? No, no, you're, uh, he's made a couple for TV. There's one, um, summer of fear with Linda Blair, where I think there was another name for it too, but was that she a plays King book, the, the something under the stairs, or was that just something totally? No, original? It was, okay. No, it was an original idea. Um, he it's it's about this kid that they're he and his brother or cousin are going to uh rob houses right and they rob the wrong house and it's kind of an urban neighborhood and uh this brother and sister have people hidden in their you know in the walls basically right and it's i mean it's a lot about like class and like any West Craven movie, there's a kind of a, a subtext to it. Uh, it's, but it's one of those things where it's, it's told in a fun way. And, and the, the, the couple in it are just so insane. Um, I, for the life of me, I can't remember who I think, is it Wendy Roby? I don't, um, and what's his face from twin, twin peaks, uh, who was also in silver bullet, Everybody, like anybody listening to this, is like, yeah, "Oh my god!" Are, they're like yelling they it, the but yeah, they're just their their performances are just heightened enough that you know it's it it's almost comedy, but not quite. 
and I, I remember us not liking it, but at the same time, it's like, and I'm, I think you're starting to see these things when we overwhelm ourselves for the week, and then you got a force in the classic, and you're not in the right mood to watch it, and that, yeah, it, then sometimes, sometimes you're blown away because it, it pulls you out of your funk, and you're like, holy shit, this is amazing, and other times you're missing the point you're watching it at surface level and you're missing things you're sometimes the fun that's there you're not picking up on because you're in the wrong headspace and that's kind of and this was towards shortly before you came on maybe a few months before you came on so we were definitely heading towards the funk where we needed another host to bring us out of it uh but i think that played a role in us because I don't even really remember it. And it, I went, it was less than a year ago, maybe a year and a half. Yeah. Somewhere in there. It wasn't that long ago. And he just, his, yeah, his stuff is just, it, and I can see where you might not remember because his stuff is either super memorable or kind of forgettable. Oh, yeah. You know, it doesn't get bigger you know, than yes. Scream and Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. Those are two massive franchises. Yeah. But for every Scream, it seems like he does a summer of fear. Okay. I, that's, that's, that's unfair. Cause that movie was bad, but fun. Right. Um, but there's like, uh, my soul to take, which was unwatchable. I, I couldn't even tell you what it was about because I stopped it about halfway through. And I'm like, I, I'm not watching this. I'm just not going to finish this movie. And I never don't finish a movie. Right. So I think I fell asleep three times before I just finally said no. Um. Yeah, but I wish he was still around to do the new screams because I'd like to see what he would bring to it. Yeah. And I think that when he's so revered as a horror director, even though he had so many misses in the genre... That just tells you how good his highs were. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, he didn't even want to be... A lot of these guys didn't want to be horror directors. They just kind of got stuck yeah. in it with their successes. Uh, well, they he said, they said if you did... I can't remember what movie. If you do this movie, we'll let you make your violin movie. And then he made Music of the Heart with Meryl Streep. Right. And it was like, nope, back to horror. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh... No, Sean. What is your thoughts on this? Is one thing he and I have talked about before. This is not completely horror, uh, but like Brian De Palma. Like you look at that era of directors and Scorsese, Coppola, Lucas, Spielberg. They'll all point to him as being the best. But his movies are the (laughs) least successful of all theirs. And he doesn't really have that Godfather or the Goodfellas or the Star Wars or whatever. What's your favorite movie by him, though? I don't know. I can't. I can't even think of what he's made. I'm not a Scarface fan. I probably should be more prepared when I ask the question. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be an obvious <laughs> well, one that I'm not. I I can tell you mine, and that's Dressed to Kill, which is kind of his Psycho remake. Right. Um, you know, deals with the uh, like kind of like a transgender character. Um, 
uh, who's also a murderer, which, you know, doesn't sit well with the LGBTQ community. Um, oh, but probably Carrie for me. Yeah. I don't think I've seen Dress to Kill, though. And oh, we should do that as a classic sometime. That's absolutely. Uh, and I, I never saw Blowout, but I loved Blow Up. I thought that was one of yeah. my favorite movies that we've done as a classic. Uh, and I don't know if it's Blowout is very good. Blowout. I just have a problem with if you're remaking something and the first one's amazing and it, it stands the test of time, why bother? But I get it. I, you know what? I think it's different enough that it's not really, it doesn't even feel like a remake to me. That's cool. Um, I dressed to kill funny story. So my parents and Sean's parents and our other aunts and uncles, we used to, they used to get together some Saturdays and play cards. And one night it was our turn to host it at our family. And so they were in our dining room. They're all playing whatever canasta. I don't know. Uh, probably actually poker euchre. And we just put on a movie and the first scene in dress to kill is where we, where we landed and it's Angie Dickinson in the shower, soaping up her, her naked breasts and her uh, lady bits. And we're just watching it. We're just like, Holy shit. Oh my God. That's her puss. (laughs) And I think like I, my, I think it was my aunt Kathleen who heard us giggling or whatever, wonder what was going on. So she came in. And, what are you guys watching? And meanwhile, she's masturbating in the shower watching, you know, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so I didn't see that movie again until years later. And it's, oh, it's a, it's a trip. Yeah. It's just Nancy Allen is in it. Keith Gordon from Christine. Um, it's just, it's a real, it's a real trip. Yeah, sadly, I got into movies largely trying to find nude scenes. <laughs> and <laughs> next thing you know, you're like, I don't know. Next thing I know, I'm watching The Deer Hunter, and I'm like, holy, you know, and I'm blown <laughs> away. Uh, and I never want to go back and watch it and have it ruined by the wedding scene again because I was, you know, being 19 or 18, whatever it was, and getting through that movie. And then just, you know, snowballing from then but even then it was just like because i'm knocking out all these movies godfather raging bull and all the main guys and you get the scarface and i was just like i don't get it <laughs> i still don't get it oh god i do not like scarface and i i feel bad i try we haven't been able to find someone to truly represent it on the podcast but i just i've tried three or four times to get into it and i just can't it's long uh, boring. I don't get the point. <laughs> and Al Pacino plays a Cuban. Al Pacino is not Cuban, not even Hispanic. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I I just I, I I I didn't like it. I I didn't watch it until about five or six years ago because I just it was one of those blind spots where I'm like. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's in the, the way it is in culture and everybody, you know, Oh my God, it's so great. And it's just oversaturated. It made me not want to see it. Right. And then it was $5 on Blu-ray with a digital copy. So I'm like, okay, fine. So I bought it 
I watched it and I sold the DVD the next day on eBay. I was just like, nope, not for me. Yeah. Uh, what else do you want to do? We're probably we're over an hour, or right around an hour in. <laughs> just the two yeah. of us. Uh, I'm a little bit worried. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure he's just same. sleeping. I'm hoping he's just sleeping. We can, you know what? We can talk about Stir of Echoes. That was our classic yeah, from last that. week. Uh, go ahead, you. Lead. You're better at leading these things than I'm. Absolutely. Terrible. Oh, okay. <laughs> Stir of Echoes stars Kevin Bacon. Uh, as uh, his name, I forget. Sean's usually better at that, writing all that <laughs> stuff down. Uh, Kevin Bacon, he gets hypnotized at a party from his sister-in-law. I believe I believe that's the relationship. I, I was never quite sure on that. Uh, Ileana Douglas, she hypnotizes him, and he suddenly starts seeing visions of a girl who is in his house. And is centered around his house that he rents from a friend uh, who f- he rehabbed it the year before and him and his family moved into it. And uh, he is, you know, he just doesn't know what happened. You know, where did this, how did this happen? And his wife played by Catherine Irby, who is uh, best known for law and order criminal intent. Uh, she, she just thinks that maybe, you know, it's her, she's found out she's pregnant and she's not really they he doesn't seem excited about it and she thinks that that's what's causing him all this angst and he finally opens up to her you know and says i'm seeing images of a dead girl uh his son is also gifted with this site uh jake and he the like towards the beginning he's actually talking to this girl who he doesn't know his dad sees and the dad, Tom, that's Kevin Bacon's name in the movie. He doesn't realize that his son can see it. So, you know, finally when they figure this out, he's digging. He's like, I have to dig. I have to find, you know, she's telling me that I have to dig. And turns out his neighbor, uh, Harry, who's renting in the house, his son and his other friend's son coaxed Jennifer Morrison's character, Samantha, who is uh, mentally challenged into their house and they raped her and accidentally killed her. Uh, and they buried her in the wall of the basement. Um, Debbie, her sister comes to babysit at the last minute for Tom and Maggie and, uh, the the little boy talks to her and says that he sees her sister and she thinks that that means that they have her and she's still alive, but she doesn't know that her sister's dead and buried in the basement. And, you know, he finally, he finally goes down and unearths her and figures out the whole, whole thing. And the neighbors decide that, well, they're going to have to kill him. Um, and then he sets her free or spirit free. And it's just really intense. I remember, and this is going to sound like I didn't like a, the sixth sense initially. And these came out the same year, very similar stories where you kind of can see the ghosts and the ghost at the end is trying to direct you to, you know, set them free. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, 
one, I didn't even realize that he was dead when they, you find out he's dead because I wasn't paying attention. And I, I just hear this collective gasp in the crowd. I'm like, what? <laughs> and everybody thought, oh, don't tell me you knew what was going on. And that, that's not what I was doing. I just I didn't even realize that he was dead in that moment because I wasn't. I, I just kind of lost interest. Uh, and I think the Blair Witch had come out that year, and I was so in love with that movie. Uh, yeah. But and then seeing Cervecco was an empty theater, just me and my then girlfriend. And I don't know. There was just I, I found it scarier. I, it was not as slick. You know, it just. I, the way it ended was darker. I, I think the her murder was darker than the one in the Sixth Sense. I don't know. I just everything about yeah. it I liked better. Uh, the smaller budget. Uh, I just and then all of a sudden I start saying that and nobody's agreeing with me, <laughs> so I just kind of <laughs> uh, distance myself a little bit from the movie until we started playing flick chart and it started winning things. Because all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, Sean likes it, too. Do you think that that's because at the time, M. Night Shyamalan was just like, oh, my God, he made this movie. And there's a huge twist. And he's just like a genius. Yep. And you couldn't say anything bad about him right. well, until his next movie. Um, you know, but I think that, I, you know, David Kep, it wasn't, he didn't have, he was like, he wasn't. He, he wrote it from a Richard Matheson story. Right. And if you're familiar with Richard Matheson at all, but no. you know, he's the guy who wrote the original, I am legend, that kind of stuff. Um, I actually listened to the audiobook of this a couple of years ago. And it was one of those ones where I, I like the movie better. It just kind of goes at a better clip. Um, cool. And I don't think that, I don't think, there's a twist in that and everybody was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't see it coming. And that was the talk of it. You know, don't spoil the twist. This is more of a straight ahead thriller, right? That it's not really, it doesn't have to be a twist to figure out the mystery. Like, like there's not to me, the sixth sense, there's not a mystery to it because it's not set up as a mystery. Right. Um, and I mean, Yes, and after you watch the whole thing, in hindsight, there's a bit of a mystery to it, but it's not set up as a mystery. Yeah, I almost find the six senses neat. Like when you go back and watch how he did what he did with the the twist and how you should have figured out all along because it's right there in front of you. I found that very neat. Uh, And he, he obviously has a lot of talent as a director, and sometimes he gets up his own ass and screws it up. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But to me, horror sometimes works better when it's not perfect. A lot of the times works better when it's not perfect. And I think that's what yeah. I liked about the, the stir of echoes over the sixth sense. Cause the sixth sense probably is perfect. Uh, but I, I like the imperfections that go along with uh, the server. I mean, Kevin Bacon versus Bruce Willis, you know, that alone, you know, you get your a list movie star and your B plus list movie star. Uh, I just part of of it for me too is this takes place in the back. I think it's back of the yards neighborhood in Chicago. Yes. Very working class. It's you're very, you're thrown into that world and everybody I've lived in Chicago twice and it's very Chicago. Like I just watched the fugitive again, finally (laughs) after we, you know, 
we talked about it a little bit and that's very it's very chicago right and this one is very chicago neighborhood this you know i felt like i knew these people and with the sixth sense it's just it's really a two person right play with you know some incidental characters uh this one everybody felt like part of the the neighborhood and part of the 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 weave of the story right you know and they don't it's not called out like the characters aren't as called out as some of the ones in the sixth sense correct where everybody you know it's almost you know like um movies like the faculty where the credits at the end and scream where they like everybody's somebody's moving around and then it freezes and their name comes up that's kind of his like m night Shyamalan's movies especially you know like the sixth sense it's ever it's like almost like bruce willis is moving around and then he stops and he smiles and it's like bruce willis as right you know that that kind of thing. Whereas these guys are just really supernatural, not supernatural, but very natural and very believable mm-hmm. um, without a lot of fanfare. Like Ileana Douglas's character, Lisa, she's a lesbian, but they don't, you know, usually in a, like in an M night Shyamalan movie that would be called out in the first five minutes, you know, Oh, what do you know? You're just a lesbian. But here it's like, Oh, you don't find that out until like her fourth or fifth scene where she, you know, she's, wakes up with a girl um and it's never it's never like the stuff isn't called out out like it doesn't matter in the movie it just it's that's who that person is yeah yeah where it everything matters in the sixth sense right like even down to the color of the doorknob and that's why he can't open it because he can't open red things (laughs) you know it's like it's expertly plotted but it's a little up its own ass Mm mm-hmm Whereas, you know, I mean, I, I look at like the character, Debbie, who's the babysitter who, you know, kind of unlocks a part of the story. She's played by Liza Weil, who was in uh, scandal. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just so, she's so natural and believable. Jennifer Morrison is Samantha, the victim, yeah. you know, they're just, they're just real people. And they're not like a heightened, almost, and I, I, I use this because of Unbreakable. They're not a comic book version of the character. Right. Like a lot of M. Night Shyamalan's characters are. Um, and I don't know if that's because this was based on a book and, you know, they had the bones of the story or what, but I think David Kep, who like, you know, wrote and directed it. I think he did an amazing job. And I don't think that it, it, there's, yeah, there's no fat on it. Like we keep saying that about directors and stuff there's no fat on this right. it's just a straight ahead story you know the only it just it's just gets a little bit at the end but not there's just not enough on it to make you think oh okay right you know what i mean yeah they cut it off enough where you don't roll your eyes you're starting to but then it just it ends and it you're yeah i i yeah, and I hadn't watched it since the theater up until we watched it for the show, and uh, I, I liked it just as much. And I'm glad we got to go back and revisit it. And I, I think people should give it another shot. It seems like the people I know that have seen it do like it, but it mm-hmm. it's not as universally as seen. I think is probably the. Well, I think I mean everybody. 
if you've seen a movie in the last 30, 40 years, you know who David Kep is. He wrote Jurassic Park. You know, I mean, right. <laughs> he, he adapts a lot of stuff and he does it well to the point where you're, you're, he knows how to immerse you in a story with character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he did, uh, he wrote uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And say what you will about anything in that movie that was good or bad. The characters were really fleshed out. I, so, I didn't watch it. And again, not because of him, just there is something <laughs> nice about like, I don't know how you do it with, especially like some of the horror movies were like, like Halloween, for instance, where it's <laughs> two and then this random third. And then this whole other trilogy or whatever, four five and six, if that's even related, this three of them, then Rob zombie or no, then the H2O resurrection stuff. Then Rob zombie comes mm-hmm. in. And then these three, these other two guys come in and do another seek trilogy. Uh, like it's hard for me to like I just get annoyed with all that and there is an audience that appreciates all of that especially like I know there's a whole my brother has a, a bunch of friends who work at Fangoria love four five and six and we're pissed off that they didn't continue that story <laughs> and I tried watching I'm like I don't get it <laughs> I just get a I get frustrated with the fact that they just keep trying to make these movies and make money versus you know truly yeah. trying to tell a story you know when friday the 13th part five came out i still to this day remember uh people magazine's review of it and it the first line was where there's a till there's a way and that sums up many 80s horror franchises especially the halloween ones <laughs> because i there's just so many timelines you know, there's Halloween one and Halloween two. Then there's Halloween three by itself. Then there's Halloween one, two, four, five, six. Then there's Halloween one and Halloween seven. You know, it's like, um, I'm gonna need you to like pick a lane, buddy. Right. But I've had a blast going back and like I hadn't I saw sound that night deadly night as a teenager but i had no memory of it when we watched it for the classic a few months back uh and i loved it i mean sleepaway camp I, all those were so much fun uh everything we've really done more or less has been a lot of fun tourist trap uh it's it just and, and we're not just p- picking friday the 13th five or jason goes to hell i that turned 30 but we didn't technically watch it for the show uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's I'm just to the point where I, I want, like, I, I'm in the Ari Aster lane, and that's what I want to see. And I want, uh, I don't, I don't want, I want original stuff. I don't want IPs anymore. <laughs> I'm just IP'd out. Yeah, <laughs> you peed out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, as somebody who loves '80s horror franchises, I completely agree with you. Would I love to see one more Robert England Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah, but he's too old. Right. He said it. He's he doesn't move the way he used to. He said he can't do it. Okay, let's let it go. Right. Um, the Friday the Thirteenth stuff. I mean, there's ways to do it. There, uh, there's actually going to be a Crystal Lake TV series on Peacock. 
after they you know fix the writer strike hopefully um i have a feeling i know where it's going because i think i wrote this story when i was bored at my job a couple years ago uh but i i there are ways to do you know these take these ips in different directions like west craven's new nightmare you know right great idea um, has that, has it ever recovered? Well, there's Freddy versus Jason, which I liked very much. Yeah. But I'm also, I'm kind of a purist when it comes to that kind of stuff. And which is why I didn't like either of the black Christmas remakes. Yep. Except now I have a, I have a, an appreciation for the t- 2006 one, but I still hate the 2019 one. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to see those movies and I want to see more of that kind of thing. But I also, I, I would watch Hereditary almost any night of the week, Midsommar, any night of the weekend because it's so long. Right. Um, but you know, I still want to see Friday. I'm still going to watch Friday the Thirteenth movies. Uh, I'm still going to watch. Well, we already have you know, all that. That's the thing is, I'll What's go that? back and we have those. Well, I'll go back. Oh and yeah, watch yeah. Those. And to me, Friday the Thirteenth is probably the one that can get away with it the best. Uh, I don't know why. It's just for some reason that franchise can. We just want to see Jason killing people. <laughs> the story isn't oh, yeah, as important. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, even like X and Pearl, uh, those were fun and creepy and just super well made. And I just like seeing something new. Uh, mm-hmm. And then going back to what's. And then discovering the stuff that you're bringing to the show. That's fun. And then, you know, the ones that I grew up loving, going back to watch those. And the ones that we're discovering, rewatching those. Uh, that's, I just, like, yeah, I'm just sick of them trying to, and I shouldn't say that, because, like, I thought uh, My Bloody Valentine at the time I liked, and I even liked the Texas Chancel Massacre remake when it came out. Uh, I don't know. We're starting to go off. I still, I still, <laughs> I still stand by the fact that, the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the best of the remakes. I um, think so. I, I think the reason people hate it is because it's not, it's probably slicker than the first one, the original. Not yeah. The, but it's a solid horror movie as a standalone horror movie. Yeah. Um, I did not, I didn't like the Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th remakes. And mostly that's because. But Friday the 13th remake, everybody was gorgeous. Right. You know, and I've said this on the show before. I want my Friday the 13th cast with Broadway actors who look like other people, like every every other person. I don't need them to be models like Willa Ford. I'm sorry. Right. Um, I My Nightmare on Elm Street movie, you know, same thing. I want normal people. But like the Platinum Dunes crowd everybody has to look like they just stepped off a CW show because they did, you know, (laughs) because they did. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I, there are, I think there's life left in some of those old IPs, but I think TV is kind of the way to take it. If you can't, you know, and not necessarily, you know, Jason cutting up a new group of people every week. Uh, not this, you know, not a remake of the Friday, the 13th, the series from the eighties where it was a cursed 
Right. Um, antique store. <laughs> you know, Freddy's Nightmares is execrable. It's the it's so bad. I went back and watched it <laughs> recently. It is horrifying how bad it is. The production values of it. The, I I almost didn't finish it. I'm like, nope. My friend got this for me, and I gotta. You know, he he got me the episodes and I got to watch them all the way to the end. Man, the last like the last season of that show, there's only two seasons and it's just horrible. So but if they could do Freddie as, you know, like Jackie Earl Haley was the best part about the remake. And per- I think he they, made it. They great- ruined it with I mean, yeah, you could have saved that series and really taken it seriously. It would have been different. It would have been dark the whole time. You probably couldn't have made it silly, but uh, and and I hate the it's studios get involved. You know, you had the same thing with the Rob Zombie Halloweens. Unfortunately, I don't think the studios got involved with the Danny and McBride one. And but, mm-hmm. but what? They, but <laughs> when I they should have. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing I want studios to let people do. But then I say that, and then they made three of the. They just totally made it unwatchable for me. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, but, but I wish more students would give guys like give people the chance to if the if you're gonna do it, let someone take it seriously and really try to make a good movie out of these, or at least a consistent movie. I don't know. You know, I'm 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 hopeful that guys like Ari Aster, you know, keep making good, not necessarily just horror movies, right? But on that kind of spectrum. You know, like Bo is Afraid was not technically a horror movie, but it was filled with horror horror elements right. and horrific things. And, you know, I, I mean, all good horror to me anyway is an allegory for something else. And that's why Midsommar worked so good because it was about codependency and about a codependent relationship and how, you know, a simple no would have saved that guy's life. You know what I mean? Right. Saying, I don't want you to come. Boom. Credits. Yep. You know, there, there's our half hour, uh, Ari Aster movie, <laughs> but even the, even that stuff aside, what he does so well is the imagery. Like it's yeah. just full blown art. And that's, I, I don't know. I, you can take it in surface level. You can go deep with it. You can just every angle you watch those movies. It's, Perfection, but anyway, we're at an hour fifteen. I think you want to wrap it up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm one. cool with that. All right. Well, this was fun. We should definitely yeah maybe do this for Patreon sometime. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we can yeah. talk about you guys it are getting a directors. Pa- <laughs> yeah, or even like a franchise. We can do that sometime oh. too. You know, just just shoot the shit about that. Yeah. No, this this is yeah. fun. I'd I'd love to kind of bring this to the this format to the show a little more often. Yeah, I'm down. Especially like we're, you know, we've had some slow weeks as far as releases go. I mean, you know, I, I saw blue beetle last week and I didn't see anything this week because of the, of the convention that I was at, but you know, it's, there are weeks when we've got like one release that. Right. And I know, I know. it's part of Sean's job, but it, it would be fun to do these kind of shows during those weeks. It'd make it more fun for me. Like, I'll be honest, wasn't looking forward to the lineup <laughs> that we had. <laughs> uh, 
But instead, you know, and we this is just us shooting the shit. So I, I really yeah. think this is fun. All right. Well, yeah, I'm well, down for it. Awesome. Well, we'll see everybody next week, and hopefully Sean will be back then. All right. Bye. Bye.